Good morning. Are y'all ready? If you would open your Bible to Mark. Uh oh. He's changing directions. I've been going, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And uh, the next sermon is in the bulletin this morning as a better marriage. And that is a sermon I will absolutely preach next week. Last week, we had talked, the last two weeks, we've been uh, in this series, we've been talking about, well, what kind of life we're supposed to be living. And uh, in that same vein, I thought of this passage, and it's just... And it's kind of just been on my mind, and I can't shake it, and so I'm going to blame the Holy Spirit, and we're going to preach this message to morning. Two sermons ago was new clothes, this last sermon I preached was a new walk, and this one is a life to live, because you have a life to live. You understand that? I mean... That's something you've probably been told all of your life. Man, you can live whatever kind of life you want. You can, this is the land of opportunity. If you're here in America and you're from America, this is, uh, there's so much opportunity for you. There's so many uh, uh, doors that you can walk through, so many things you can do with your life. But if you're here this morning and you're a member of this church, which means you're supposed to be saved and baptized, then let me tell you, there's a life for you to live. A different kind of life than what this world has to offer to you. And Mark chapter 8, Mark is a book you know that I love. Um, Mark is a a record of of Jesus' life and some of the things that he said, some of the most important things that he said. And these words that he said in Mark chapter 8 are just, they've been on my heart. It says in verse 34, when he had called the people to himself, sorry, Mark chapter 8. 34. There it is, Darren. <laughs> and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for just the call of my life to preach. Lord, I I understand that your call on my life was not because I'm I'm a great orator or speaker, not because I'm even a a tremendous Bible student or because of any other reason except that I was willing and you're capable of of qualifying me. Lord, I pray that you would just use me this morning. Lord, help us to be challenged by uh, these words and to, to figure out how we're to follow you the right way. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, when he was uh, near the end, he was, he was ready to face execution. He wrote these words. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those are words I want to be able to say. And if you're a 
a Christian this morning, those are words that you should want to be able to say. But it's so easy for us to get wrapped up into the stuff of this world. It's so easy for us to get consumed with our own affairs. And that we keep our heads down and we miss exactly what God has before us. If we're going to live the life that God has called us to live, we're going to have to live first with the right perspective. Now, I don't know about you, but it helps me when I walk into a situation to know what's going on. Uh, Sometimes uh, I'll get a, a, a word from one of you. I'll blame Brother Bob here recently. Brother Bob said, hey, I need to sit down and have lunch with you. Now, when a pastor hears that, you know what I hear? Oh, man, uh uh-oh, I did something stupid. I said something wrong. I offended him. Thankfully, Brother Bob is sensitive to that, and he he shared recently a desire to go and sit down, him and another brother in our church, and, and he said, but it's nothing you need to worry about. We, we just want to talk about a couple of things, good things, you know. So he tried to put me at ease. Isn't it helpful when you're, gonna, when you're about to walk into a situation to kind of know what it's about? Yeah, your life is a situation that you need to know about. You need to have the right perspective about your life. And the, the first thing you need to be able to uh, know to get the right answers, you should be asking the right questions. And so let's ask this really simple question. Some of the things we're going to talk about are simple today, but they are foundational and they're incredibly important, especially for those of you who are new Christians. Uh, We've baptized some people in these waters. Uh, We don't have any water back here right now, but in this baptistry this year, and if you've been baptized this year or within the last few years or in the last 50 years, these are things you need to know and you need to live by. You need to have the right perspective. The first question we're going to ask is, who is God? Well, you know, it, it's a very helpful hint of who God is in the beginning of the Bible when we see the most profound verse in the Bible, uh, John, uh, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Listen, God is the creator. There is no other creator. Uh, uh, God is the one who had the idea, and then he made this idea, reality. He had the idea for you, believe it or not. He had the idea for me. So maybe not all his ideas are good. I don't know. Um, Y'all are supposed to be a little more awake. God had the idea. He creates. He's the only one who creates. Uh, we, we can create things. My, my son has been talking with us about uh, things he wants to do when he grows up, Benjamin, and, and Ben has so many ideas, and it's fun to just listen to him talk and, and to share with him about it because he wants to be an engineer. He wants to be a, a designer. Uh, he wants to be a nanotechnologist. He wants to do these cool things because in him is the image of God, the creator. And so we can create things, but we can't create like God creates. And God, being the creator, by the way, he, he owns all the things that he creates. If you need to understand what kind of life you're to live, you need to understand who God is. I mean, God is the creator, the, the only creator. First Chronicles, it says, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Second, uh, First Chronicles twenty nine eleven. Oh, yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory. 
and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Listen, he owns everything. I don't know what kind of concerns you have in your life right now. You may be looking for a new job. You may be uh, looking for a new place to stay. You may be uh, just, you know, looking for the next step in your life. Let me tell you, whatever it is, God owns it. God owns you, and God can walk you through it. He can lead you. The second question we should be able to answer is, who are you? Who are we? Our identity begins with God. If we go back to Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 1, uh, 26. I left my Bible in my office, so I'm using Ben's Bible right now. It works just as good. But his pages stick together more than mine. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Our identity begins with God. We're in a world where this world is telling you to identify with everything but God. If you need value in your life, if you're going to live your life with any kind of purpose that pleases God, you've got to understand that your identity begins with Him. This, uh, this, this identity that you have also we can see in Psalms 139. Where David, David wrote, uh, for you formed me in my inner parts. 139. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, in which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Our identity begins with God. Your personal identity began with God. You were his idea. I'm the youngest of, of three sons. My, uh, my parents, have a, I, they had a son in 1973. His name is Dave or David. And then they had another son in 1976. His name is Jeff or Jeffrey. And then they were done, so they thought. Until, whoops, Darren happened. My mom very kindly likes to Instead of calling me a mistake or an accident, she says I was God's idea. No matter what kind of background you have, no matter whether you were planned or not, you were absolutely God's idea. He made you for his purposes. He put you together the way you are. And why does that matter? 
Well, if we go back to 1 Chronicles 29, 11. 1 Chronicles 29. It says, uh, well, it says right there. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Your identity begins with God and he owns you. He made you for himself, for the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Listen, it matters. God says right there, God owns everything he made. That means you and me. Are there other things we should consider uh, uh, about this identity? Yeah. What about who is Jesus? Who is he? Colossians, uh, such a powerful book. Maybe the most uh, uh, Christocentric book in the Bible. Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, that visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Who is Jesus? He's everything. Did you hear where he's supposed to be placed in our priority list? That in all things he should have what? The preeminence. How many of y'all use that on a daily basis, that word, preeminence? If you don't, let me tell you what it means. That he should be first in everything. You, you want to live the life that God has called you to live, the, the life that you've been saved to, you got to understand that your right perspective involves knowing that Jesus is to be first in everything. Uh, uh, Hebrews 12.2 says, looking unto the Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, he's the beginning and the end. He says so in Revelation. He said, I'm the beginning and end. Listen, Jesus is everything. Other translations might describe Jesus as the founder of our faith, the one who established the institution of our faith. He is everything. If this doesn't move you, if this doesn't challenge the way you see your life, then you're not listening. He saved you from an eternity in hell that no one else could or would save you from. Yet he did it. He did it through his own blood. And now that he's saved you, he is to be first. 
And those to those that are lost, by the way, he will be first, whether they want him to be or not. He is God. He is the founder. He is the author. He is the finisher. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, (coughs) he is at the right hand of the throne of God, and what is he doing there? He is sitting. Man, you know what I'm going to do when I get home today? After I'm at work. Did y'all know that? I'm at work. I love, this is, a, this is a job, but this is my calling, and I love doing this. But you know what I'm going to do when I get home? I'm going to sit down. You know why? Because I'm going to be done. I, I might be done in more ways than one. I'm going to be done. I'm going to have finished what I came to do, and I'm going to be tired and done. But let me tell you, when you're done, you sit down. You don't have anything more to do. Jesus, he doesn't have anything more to do. He's already... He's already saved us. He's already done all that needs to be done to save us. Jesus, he finished it. 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, what does it say? Should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. Because he's done it, we should live it. Because he's done it, we should live this life with the right perspective. You were bought. I love 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, Let me turn there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Romans, it's in the middle there. There it is, 3, 6, verse 20. You didn't know Brother Darren was going to have a, a sword drill in front of you this morning, did you? It says, for you are bought with a price. Did you hear that? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So let, let's, let's think about that verse there for a second. You are bought with a price. So uh, as we talked about having the right perspective and we talked about who God is, Who is God again? He's the what? He's the creator. And because he's the creator, and then he created you, that makes him your what? Owner. He means, that means he owns you, okay? And everyone who's outside these walls, uh, whether a believer or not, they're owned by God because God created them. But did you see what Jesus did? It says, it says there in 1 Corinthians 6.20, you are bought with a price. So he owned you, but you were lost. So he bought you. You're twice owned by God. <laughs> he, he owns your life. And when you surrender your life to him and you trust fully in him, he then owns your eternity. Let me tell you, you want to be you want to be in his ownership. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. Listen, he paid for your sins on the cross, whether that payment ever is applied to your account or not. You were bought with a price. And all that's required of us from John 3 tells us that whosoever believes, 
The only thing that's required from you to to receive this eternal life, to, to have that payment that was paid for you applied to your account and for all your debt, all your sin debt to be paid off for all eternity. Listen, the only thing that's required is you have to believe. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. Melissa and I, uh, we, we own two vehicles. One is a 2011 Mazda CX-9 with 212,000 miles on it and, and going and counting. And then a 2014 Mazda 3. We like Mazdas. It's got almost 160,000 miles on it and counting. The Mazda CX-9 is about to give up the ghost. And we're going to have to buy a car. And I wish that buying a car and paying off that debt would be, I could just believe that it was paid off and somebody else would pay it off. That'd be pretty awesome. Let me tell you, you have a debt you can never repay. If you're saved, you had a debt you could never repay, ever. If you're saved, you had a debt that, that was going to be paid through eternity, separated from God in a place called hell, a place that was not made for you, It was a place made for uh, the rebel Lucifer and his devils and his angels. It was made for them, not for you. But God will allow you to go there if you don't trust in Jesus. But he paid the debt. You were bought with a price. And all you have to do to have that price, that, that, that payment applied to your account and your sin debt, paid off, is you have to believe. We need to have the right perspective. We also need to live the right pattern. There's a few examples. There's many examples in the Bible. I immediately think of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. What a tremendous example of of Abraham's faith and his his desire to please uh, please the Lord. Uh, He was willing to sacrifice his own living son that he waited for, that was, that was precious to him. He was willing to do that for his Lord. Thankfully, the Lord did not require that price of him, just required to show that he was willing. But if we go to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, verse 3, there's a beautiful story here about a, a woman uh, when they were at the house of, of Simon the leper in Bethany. It says, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, spikenard, uh, ointment of spikenard, uh, spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had an indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than a hundred pence and, and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. <coughs> and Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. And whensoever uh, you, will, you will, you may do unto them. But me you have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come before, aforehand to anoint my body and to the burying. And verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of a memorial of her. I love this story. And I love uh, in verse 8 what Jesus said about her. He said that she hath done what she could. 
listen, you don't, you don't have to be a, a, a great speaker. You don't have to be a great singer. You don't have to be a, a wealthy person to serve God. You know what the greatest ability is to God? It's availability. You just have to be available to him. You have to be willing. <coughs> and this woman says she had done what she could. She took something that was incredibly wealthy, incredibly valuable to her. This woman who probably didn't have very much, she had this box of ointment, this box of ointment, which was, says they could have been sold for 100 pence. That's about a year's wages. Tremendous. I, I can't imagine giving my whole year's wages, even to the Lord. But she didn't hold anything back. You see that? She held nothing. She didn't withhold anything from her Lord. She gave her most precious treasure and she lavished it on him. She broke the box. I don't, I don't know about you, but when you break, yeah, some people describe this uh, box as a, a box is maybe not a good word. It maybe it was a bottle, a little alabaster bottle. And, and when they were to use it, they would just break the top of the bottle off. Now, uh, I, I don't know how many of you could put that back together. I couldn't. She couldn't. When she broke it, there was no turning back. There was no, there was, it was full surrender at that point. She, she broke the box and she used up all the precious ointment for him. She she, in fact, we see in Luke 7, when it talks about the same instance, that she was brokenhearted herself and that she, she poured out her tears. She used the hairs and tears to wash his feet. She held nothing back from him. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I have an illustration I've used here before, but how many of y'all will do this? Open your hands like this. Wake up, okay? Wake up enough to hear me. What I'm, open your hands like this, okay? Now, now relax your hands. What do they do? Well, they kind of close, don't they? You know what the natural uh, thing for us to do is usually to have our hands closed. We, we hold things to ourselves, don't we? we? We hold things back. I just said just a moment ago, I can't imagine giving my entire year's wages for the Lord. I would probably try to hold on to that if I could. Do you know what? She didn't hold anything back. Her hands were completely open. Uh, she, she used her hair to wash his feet. This was the, uh, the woman's, uh, this was uh, something precious to her. Uh, their hair was a precious thing. She used it to wash his feet. Why? Why would she do that? Well, because Jesus withheld nothing. And Mark 14, 26 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. He was leaving the Last Supper, singing. Verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, where is he? Hey, wake up, where is he? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. Why is he praying? What is he facing? He's facing death. His disciples had no clue what he was facing. They didn't get it. But he's in the garden and he says, Abba, Father, Daddy, all things are possible unto thee. 
And then he asks, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but that what thou wilt. You know, Jesus, he, Jesus was full of ability. But in this instance, his example was availability to the Lord. He was available to what God would have him to do. We go to Mark chapter 15. We see his example in verse 15. And Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into a hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit on him and bowing their knees, worshiping him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And, to com- and they compelled one Simon a Cyrenian who passing by came out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. We go down to verse 25, it says, In the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over, over his head, the king of the Jews. And with them, And with them they crucified two thieves, the one on his right and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Verse 33, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sebastani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood by when they heard it, it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. Verse 36, And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed, gave to him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice. Verse 37, And he gave up the ghost. And then the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't withhold anything. And he didn't just, he did it for the Father, okay? This was the Father's will. And it brings glory to God that he did this. But he did it for you. Like that woman who broke the alabaster box and poured out this precious ointment, our Lord was broken for you. We're to live a life patterned after this example, patterned after the example of sacrifice and surrender, of availability to God. We're to live our life with the right perspective, a life with the right, after the right pattern, and then we're to live, and I'm going to use another P word, with the right posture. Because these things, because of what we've talked about, how do you approach your life? Commitment is a kind of a buzzword 
uh, in our thoughts towards Christ? Are you committed to Christ? Have you committed your life to following Christ? We commit ourselves to pray more. We commit ourselves to fast sometimes. We commit ourselves to serve better. We commit ourselves to attend church. We commit ourselves to sin less. Maybe in your life, I'm trying to commit myself to losing weight because I gained it all back. Uh, we, we commit ourselves to climb the corporate ladder. We commit ourselves to raise our kids right. We commit ourselves to all these things, but commit, commitment is a posture of pride. Commitment says, well, it's mine to own. Commitment says, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to figure out a way. It's based on my expertise. It's based on my accomplishments. Whenever we've committed ourselves to accomplishing something, then we get the credit. It looks like what I just described, the clenched hand. We're committed. We're holding on. I can do this. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve said they knew better than God and told God no, they were committed to doing what they thought was right and what was good. But this was what the disciples were like before the resurrection. They were committed to follow Jesus. Peter was committed to die for him, although he failed. Peter was committed to fight for him, though Jesus rebuked him. The attitude, the posture we should have is not commitment. The posture we're to have is what we saw in Mark chapter 8. And that is a posture of surrender. Remember our passage. It says, when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? This life you're to live. You should approach it with a a posture of surrender. God bought you. He made you. And then he sent his son and bought you. And the price that he paid was the blood of his son. I love you guys but I would not buy you with the blood of my children. But God did. And everything we have, we owe to him. It should be a life of surrender. God's ownership. Whatever is before you in your life, you should do by God's expertise. And going through God's ways. Because then it will be God's accomplishments. Our hands should be open in surrender. And in worship. This is what the disciples looked like after the resurrection. (laughs) When they realized what Jesus came to do and what he had accomplished. That he had saved them from eternity separated from God. They said, yes, I will live for you. This was the posture of Paul. 
It's why Paul, whenever uh, at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, when he said, I had fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, it's because he lived a life surrendered to God. Surrendering means listening to Jesus when he said, without me, you can do nothing. It's like, surrender is like Mark 14, 36, when Jesus said, not what I will, but your will be done. One of the most beautiful pictures of surrender is Hannah. Hannah, you remember the story of Hannah? The song that she sang, the praise that she gave, while giving her son to God. The question is, I want to leave you with this morning, is how are you going to live your life? Now that God has saved you, whether it was 15 years ago or 25 years ago like it was for me, whether it was 50 years ago, whether it was just in the last year, how are you going to live? It required Paul to decide every day. He said, I die daily. It required Paul to think on these things so much that it became such a a part of him, who God was and what he had done, who Jesus was and how he should follow Jesus. He was willing to give it all up and Paul did. He, shortly after writing that, that verse we read about his end of life verse, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Shortly after that, he lost his life for the faith. It's a powerful testimony. You have a life to live. How will you live it? I I want to share one poem for for you from uh, a British missionary to China. His name was C.T. Studd. He penned a famous poem, so you probably have heard this before. But I I want us to consider it as we figure out how we're going to live our life for Jesus. It's called Only One Life. C.T. Studd writes, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then, in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, that still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, to with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. 
Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife. Pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone. Bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life. Twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's stand together. Father, I love you. I love you because you have loved me beyond, far beyond anything I could dream. Lord, you have secured for us eternity, a greater retirement than we can buy here on earth. Lord, you have secured for us a life of eternal adventure and worship on you, a life of eternal joy without pain or anguish or, 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 or trouble in our life. A life without fear, a life without darkness, a life without disease. Lord, we live like we don't own any of it. Like it hasn't been bought for us and already in our possession. We live like this is all that really matters. We live our life based on the world's judgment. But God... Help us to no longer be committed to following you. Lord, help us to surrender ourselves to you completely. Help us not to hold anything back from you. Help us to be willing to give all. Because you gave all for us. Lord, help us to know that this life is so short. That whatever pain we experience because of our surrender to you really, truly will be joy that we'll receive treasures in heaven, and that in the end, this is all temporary in preparation for what is eternal. God, help us to live for you. Lord, we're a church, this church here, Northwest Baptist Church, been here almost 60 years, preaching the word, trying to stay as true and close to the word as possible so that we might glorify you in Garden Oaks, Houston, Texas. God, help us to endure. Lord, help us to live the life that you've bought us to live. Lord, help us to glorify you here and now. Lord, I know each of us, this is a personal decision of ours, each of us to surrender to you. Lord, I pray you help us to do it. Help us not to withhold anything back from you anymore. Help us to live for you. I pray for this time of invitation and the song that we're going to sing. I just pray you would help us to live for you in Christ's name. Amen.